Amen. It's a blessing to be uh, here in Cleveland. Uh, it's my second trip to Ohio uh, this summer, and I have to say you all know how to treat people well. Amen. And let's applaud our baptismal candidates. Amen. 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 And I, I have a strong feeling they, they are not going to be the only ones. Amen. Amen. So it's a blessing to be here with you. Um, I flew in this morning from Los Angeles. Uh, I got in around 630 this morning and uh, have been going ever since. Uh, This whole summer has been a whirlwind for me. Uh, I have traveled across the country, uh, back and forth from New York uh, to Atlanta, uh, to Ohio, to Texas, to North Carolina, to the Bay Area, uh, and people have been saying, Devon, you know, what, why are you going so hard? Uh, you know, my day job is more than a nine to five. I mean, working for uh, Columbia Pictures really is, is more than a full time job. So to manage, you know, what's going on at Sony and to also be in ministry, uh, people look at me like I'm crazy. And they say, man, listen, you, you don't have to do what you're doing. Uh, you know, why are you going? Every weekend I've been traveling. I haven't even been at home at Mount Rubido maybe once or twice this summer. And people say, why are you doing it? I say, because I see people hurting. And how can I sit here with the knowledge that God has given me and sit on it and not do everything I can to preach the word to those who need it? As long as I can breathe Who cares if I'm tired? Guess what? (laughs) I'm not supposed to be comfortable, amen? Because God has put within me a word for his people. I'm here because I love you. Because I want to see you go to the next level in your life. I want to see you overcome the very thing that you've been struggling with. That's why I'm here. Uh, A verse comes to mind that we all know. Proverbs 3 Verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. In all of your ways, if you acknowledge him, he is sure to direct your path. I've come here today because some of you have stopped allowing God to direct your movie. And God has sent me here today to say, hey, I need you to know it's time for me to take my position where I'm rightfully supposed to be in your life. Please let me direct your life the way I design. But we first have got to acknowledge him. A lot of times people look at me like I'm crazy because they say, uh, wait a minute, you work in Hollywood and uh, you're Adventist. Hmm, I don't trust that. I know it's OK. It's all right. It's all right. How how how, how is it possible? How, how can you be a Christian and be an Adventist and, and you work in Hollywood? You must be compromising somewhere how can you be in the land of Sodom and Gomorrah and and you're in the 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 devil's playground and 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 Adventists ain't supposed to be in the devil's playground and boy what you doing Uh, I'll never forget growing up as a kid when people heard that I wanted to go into Hollywood they immediately said you can't do that you can't be a Christian and be in Hollywood and I respectfully would say well how many days have you worked in Hollywood You know how it is when you're younger and you get smart with your elders. Boy, don't you get smart with me. And I said, no, I'm serious. Like, like I understand where you're coming from, but I would really understand it if you were coming from a position of experience. Mm. But they were not coming from a position of experience. They were speaking from a position of what they thought it was. And in their lack of understanding what they thought something was, It came out of a good place because what they didn't want me to do was to lose my faith. So 
in their care for me, they actually were sending me a message that was antithetical to the very thing that we do every Sabbath. We come into this house and we give God praise because we believe in his power. We come into this house, we give God praise because we are told that faith works. We are told there is no limit to what God can do. All we have to do is believe. So we are taught that faith works. But if faith works, why can't I go into Hollywood? Are you telling me that faith only works to a point? Oh, so so faith can't carry me. So you mean God is going to leave me at the gates of Hollywood because I have stepped into the entertainment industry? What type of God are we preaching about? See, in their love, what they wanted to do is they wanted to keep me close to the dock. Because they didn't want me to get too far out into those rough waters. So, so they wanted to keep us close to the dock. Anybody ever had someone who just wanted to keep you close to the dock? They didn't understand your vision. They didn't understand your creativity. So, and because they didn't understand you, they want to just keep you close to the dock. But here's what I want us to understand. Listen. It ain't about keeping me close to the dock. What I need to know is when I'm out there on those treacherous waters, how do I use my faith to navigate? Because life ain't always going to be smooth sailing. There's going to be some storms. There's going to be some rough waters. There are going to be times when I am so far away from the dock, I can't see the shore. But if you teach me how to use my faith, then when I get in those circumstances, I'll know what to do. Ah, We have got to start preparing this generation because you are not always going to be close to Glenville, amen? God may send you thousands of miles away and you need to understand how to use your faith practically to keep you where God has placed you. So I respectfully had to say I've got to go to Hollywood because I believe That is where God is calling me. And what I ask you to do is just pray for me that he will keep my intentions pure. Ah, in all thy ways, acknowledge him. What does that mean? You have to understand why you want to do what you want to do. What is your intention? I don't care if I'm in Hollywood or going in the ministry. If my intention is wrong. That gives the devil the access to do what he wants to do. A lot of times we put this stigma on places and on industries like, no, no, no. What's in your heart? Why do you want to pursue what you want to pursue? People look at me and they think, oh, Hollywood. And and the first thing, everybody wants to be famous. Oh, y'all, come on now. Everybody wants to be a star. Everybody wants to do an album or a YouTube or a reality show, and everybody wants to be famous. But I say, wait, how is your pursuit of fame going to bring God glory? Because that is what we are put here to do. God has gifted us because he wants us to be in position that will bring him glory. Now, it does not mean that through doing what he called you to do, you won't become famous. But I would argue, do not pursue fame as a means to an end, because what is it? We were created to give worship, not to receive it. Oh, you didn't get that. We were created to give worship, not to receive it. That's why you see sometimes so many people that are famous who don't have the right mentality and they can't handle all the praise that they get. Because that's not how we were created. I am challenging you. Why do you want to do what you want to do? And where is God in the midst of your plan? I would argue if we had the time, everybody here has something you're praying for. Am I right? If you got something you're praying for, I need you to raise a hand. Some of y'all need to raise two hands. Amen. There is something you are believing God to do in your life. There is something you are trusting him for. There's a prayer. There's a vision. There's a dream. You have been saying, God, where is it? God wants you to know this. The dream is still good. Amen. 
Turn to your neighbor and say, the dream is still good. But one of the reasons why it may not have come to pass is because you are not acknowledging him in everything that you do. It says that when we acknowledge him in everything, then he'll give us the direction. Then he'll make the path straight. So if the path isn't entirely straight, if we're not getting the direction we need, we then have to look at how well are we acknowledging him in all aspects of our life. Uh, So on my pursuit uh, in Hollywood, I had to identify, okay, Lord, how do you want me to acknowledge you? I'll never forget. I was in my first internship uh, interview. And I went down, I went to school at the University of Southern California. Um, As I mentioned earlier, I'm sorry I didn't go to Oakwood, you know. I went to college days, though. (laughs) And I was like, it's cool, this is cool. I had a good time, but uh, my two days, I can't do four years. This wasn't what God was calling me to do. Uh, I love Oakwood. I actually think it's it's a tremendous university. God was just calling me in a different direction. So when I got to USC, um, I knew that I needed to get an internship. I needed to get my foot in the door because I needed to understand how the business worked. When I was in high school, I had a job, and one of the executive directors at this job, he was friends with the screenwriter. And this executive director of my job in high school hooked me up with a screenwriter. The screenwriter wrote this movie, Set It Off. Anybody ever heard of Set It Off? Yeah. Well, he was a screenwriter of that movie. And so I met with the screenwriter and he's the one that gave me the uh, the introduction for my first internship interview. The internship interview was at a company called Handprint Entertainment that managed Will Smith and and Jada and Vivica and Puffy. Well, yeah, he was Puffy then. (laughs) He hadn't changed it to Diddy yet. Um, uh, And J-Lo and they managed all the hot talent at the time. So I was very excited to get the internship interview. So I go into the interview and there's a young lady who is doing the interview. She's the HR manager or the general manager. She has my resume. We're going through it. Everything is going fine. She's asking me what days can I work? All of that good stuff. I mean, I'm pretty sure that I have the internship. At the end of the interview, God speaks to me and says, tell her about the Sabbath. I said, no, (laughs) Lord, I'm about to get this job. I can tell her about the Sabbath after I get the job. Come on, somebody. Come on now. I said, after I get the job, I can tell her all about the Sabbath and we can have a good old Bible study once I get what I need. (laughs) Y'all know I'm speaking the truth. But he said, no, 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 no. He said, I want you to tell her about the Sabbath now. And I said, Lord, you're not right. You're going to have me up in this internship interview. Everything's going great. And then you want me to potentially ruin it. Lord, why would you even have me up in here? Mind you, this is my first interview in Hollywood. And I had a decision. Was I going to acknowledge him and potentially risk the very thing I wanted? Or was I going to do it my way and get what I thought I wanted at the expense of acknowledging what I believed and who I believed in? Mm. So I said, okay, Lord. All right. I said, look, um, I got one thing. I said, you know, Friday night sundown to Saturday night sundown. Uh, is the Sabbath, and I, don't, I observe the Sabbath, and so I can't work during those 24 hours. So if you need me to work on the Sabbath, then I won't be able to take the internship. And it was quiet. And I said, Lord, you are so not right. <laughs> and after a, a brief moment, she looked up and said, no problem. Is that it? Amen. So I, I, I began to get confidence that, that acknowledging God <laughs> would provide the direction I needed and his direction would supersede whatever I could imagine possible. 
So I got confidence that I could put him first, even in Hollywood, and he would still honor my stance. So every job that I have taken since, I let them know, hey, look, I cannot take the job if it requires me to work on Sabbath. And every job has been no problem. Now, (laughs) there are moments when it goes beyond just what you do in the interview. I'll never forget, there was a time, and I speak about it in the book, there was a time when I was uh, in Beijing, uh, we were shooting Karate Kid, and I was the executive responsible for the movie, and I'm the only representative from Sony on set. And there we are, shooting a scene in the middle of Beijing in one of these old neighborhoods, and Jackie Chan's out there, and Will, and Jada, and Jaden, and we're trying to get this shot, and it's taken forever. And of course, it would take forever, and it just happens it's a Friday, right? Why does all this stuff happen on Friday? (laughs) It's like every other day, we got more time than we need, but Friday, it seemed like we're always rushing, can never get it done. Come on, somebody, right? Amen. So it's a Friday afternoon. We can't get the shot. The sun is going down, and I'm just like, oh, Lord, what am I supposed to do? Do I stay because it's my responsibility? Or do I leave, observe the Sabbath, and just trust everything will work out? None of my bosses were there. So I could have stayed and nobody would have really known. But I had to make a decision. Do I want this industry more than I want his will? And so I said, Lord, you know what? Heaven forbid I lose my job and I keep you, then I'm good. But if I keep my job and I lose my relationship with you, then I've really lost everything. So I packed up my stuff and I went back to the hotel and made it there by the time sun was down. Guess what? The movie didn't blow up. (laughs) They got the shot. It was fine. Not a problem. And on that Sabbath morning, I went and I was walking to uh, the Olympic Village to do some studying. And someone from the production saw me. And they said, Devon, it's your Sabbath. Can you be out? Are you okay? (laughs) I said, yes, I can walk. It's no problem. (laughs) But here's what was inherent in what they were saying. They respected what I was doing. And they wanted to make sure that I wasn't compromising. Because even when someone can't walk the way you walk, they still look at you. And they don't want to see you fall. Amen. Because you just doing your thing is an inspiration to them. Amen. So, wow, I didn't even know people were looking and noticing. Amen. It's all about acknowledging him. So I go back to this internship. I interned my entire four years in, in college. And when I graduated, I became an assistant at Will Smith's company. An assistant is how you get started in the entertainment business. You work your way up. And about, I started in June, July, excuse me, of the year 2000. And about seven months later, um, God started to deal with me. And it was interesting when I go back and look at it. He wanted me to personally acknowledge him in my personal life, the life that no one saw. And then that was going to be tethered with a challenge that he was going to give me professionally. Because God told me there's places I want to take you. I'm trying to direct your movie and there are pages of the script I've already written for your life. And in order to get your story where I have already written that it would go, it's going to require you to acknowledge me personally as well as professionally. Don't think you can show everybody one aspect of who you are, but in private, if that's not who you are, I can't use you the way I want to. Mm, I don't know who I'm preaching to this morning. 
Ah, because we get so used to coming into this house or going to our job. And let's be honest. We present an image. You don't have to go to Hollywood to find actors. Some of the best actors are in this house right now, in the church, amen. Got the wardrobe, got the makeup, got the hair. You know your lines. Happy Sabbath. How are you doing? God bless you. Come on, somebody. We act when we come in this place because we really don't want people to know who we really are. Ah, at least when you go to a movie, you know they're acting. But sometimes you come in this house and you can't even tell the difference. I need to be handing out Oscars to you today. Come on now. Ah. Ah, but God said, listen, man, if you want me to direct your life, you're going to have to acknowledge me in everything you do so I say okay this week the 40 uh, days of, of family focusing on the family has taken a turn to talk about sex and sexuality right and you say okay well wait wait how do you go from the family and then boom we're going to end on sex that's, that's a that's a that's a right turn right there right it's like, wait, 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 Pastor Edmonds, how does that happen? Here's the thing. Families start with the decisions that are made or not made in the bedroom. Oh. Ooh, Pastor Myron, I'm sorry. They, 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 man, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. I, I don't mean to step on any toes, but let's be honest, amen. Families, whether planned or unplanned, start with decisions that we make in the bedroom. And, you know, it's interesting that whenever I go to a church service and they start talking about sex, I'll be honest. How many people are single in the house? Single, single, single. Okay. Anybody ever been single? Okay. All right, that's the rest of y'all. Okay, okay. All right, okay. Just checking, just checking, just checking. Some of y'all, you know, born and say, oh, no, that's my wife. You know, that's my wife. Um, so what, what happens is when I go to church service sometimes and people and ministers start talking about sex, um, you know, I, I listen to them, but sometimes I'm saying, wait a minute, man. When did you get married? How long did you really struggle with the issue of being single and dealing with sexuality? And then a lot of times the, res the response is just don't do it. Now, is saying just don't do it, does that really work? <laughs> no, it does not really work. I'll never forget when I was growing up, you know, I grew up in the church like many of us here. And I had made, you know, that vow when you're younger, okay, I'm never going to have sex until I'm married. Anybody ever said that? <laughs> Come on, y'all, let's be honest. <laughs> Don't worry, okay? We are family, all right? You, I, just, I didn't say what has happened since. I just asked, have you ever said it? <laughs> Amen. All right. So when I was a teenager, you know, I was like, look, I'm not having sex until I'm married. You know, I'm, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. That's what I told everyone, and that's what I believe. But it's really easy to talk about something. When you haven't been in an experience where what you talk about is now challenged. It's real easy to have a lot of strength when you can just say something, but you're not in it. Right. But once you get into something, then what you really believe becomes true in how you behave. So I got into my first real relationship my senior year of high school. And I was very active in the church, you know, in high school. I would preach, and I, I was, you know, a youth pastor and all this stuff. But all of that kind of went out the window once you get in a relationship. Oh, boy. Oh, come on, Cleveland. All right. Y'all with me? Amen. So here I was in a relationship, really my first real relationship, and the closer I got in this relationship, the, 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 the more different I began to feel. 
you know, you start getting those feelings and just want to hang out late and always be with the person and all this. And lo and behold, how I felt was stronger than what I said I believed. And I found myself in that relationship, breaking the very vow that I made to God. But I would still go to church and with my family present the image that I knew they would accept. I would present the image that I knew they would applaud. I would present the image that I knew they would put up on a pedestal. I wouldn't present the real me because they couldn't accept that. They couldn't handle it. So I would present the version that was safe. (laughs) Anybody ever had to do that before? So here I was saying I wasn't doing certain things to make others happy. But then in my private time, me and my girlfriend were having a very different reality. Hmm. And you know, you, you, just, you just start to rationalize your behavior. Oh, come on, Glenville. I need you to be honest with me. How many times do we just start rationalizing our behavior? We know we ain't supposed to be doing certain things, but we make up excuses. We say, well, this is this, and I'm in love, and, and it's going to end up in... Ma- Pastor Myron, I'm sorry. Okay, we just, we just going to keep going. Because when the church gets quiet, that means it's getting truthful, amen? Hallelujah. So y'all better start making some noise, because the more quiet you get, the more truth you tell it, Amen. Hallelujah. Oh, man, I'm having a good time. And, and, and so what happened was I said, okay, Lord, as soon as I get out of this relationship, I'm going to stop. Uh, I don't know who I'm preaching to today. So I got out of that relationship. And another one started right after. <laughs> And I said, man, you know, I said, as soon as I got out of that one, and then you get into this one, and the same behavior gets carried over. So here I am in a second relationship, and it's doing the same behavior, and I'm saying, oh, Lord, right? I was aware that I was presenting something false, but I wasn't convicted enough to stop. We are very aware when we operate outside of God's direction. We are very aware when we operate outside of his word. But just because we do it doesn't mean we're convicted to stop. There's some things we're doing right now. We know we're wrong, but we haven't got convicted on it. So we'll stay in it until God has to do something to get our attention. So here I am in the second relationship and this second relationship goes on off and on pretty much all through my college career. And so I would still, you know, I wasn't super involved in ministry as I am now, but I would still be out, you know, uh, I was a leader at my church in Los Angeles and I was, you know, helping lead the youth there and I would preach periodically and all this. And I still was presenting this image of purity, of holiness, but not an image of truth. And the more that I would minister and the longer that I was in this relationship, I began to get torn apart because I realized what was happening is that I was one person that showed up to church. I was another person that showed up to my family. I was someone else that went to school. And I was someone else in the relationship. 
and having to maintain all of these separate identities was literally wearing me out. Because I'm trying to present something to someone, but in my private life, I'm living totally different, and the two are beginning to tear each other up. Because then I can't keep my story straight. Wait, did I tell this person that and tell this person this? And wait, come on now, you all know I'm telling the truth. And so the back and forth started making me schizophrenic. And I said, Lord, sometime this has got to stop. But I wasn't strong enough to get out of it. And I did not have the courage in the relationship that I was in to tell her that I wanted to stop. You ever been there before? Where you, you have gotten convicted, but you don't have the courage. How are they going to respond? Are they still going to love me? Are they still going to want to be with me? Are they going to reject me? I don't want to be alone. But I know that if I take a stand in this relationship, that might be what happens. So... What I did is I just said, well, I'm just going to stay in it. And, and, and eventually when this one ends, I'm going to do my best to stop. And that relationship ultimately came to an end. And I said, Lord, what I don't want to do is to get myself so far out of your will that I limit you being able to do your best plan in my life. <laughs> Romans 12, 1 to 4, Paul says what? He says, we have to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, right? Uh, do, do not uh, conform, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So then we will be able to discern his, his will. Amen. Amen. The world wants us to conform. Nothing wrong with doing what you want to do, when you want to do it, with who you want to do. That's what the world says, right? But we know that the word teaches us something different. So at the end of this relationship, and I look back and I'm like, wow, God, you saved me. Amen. Amen. And I, I'm not going to get too deep on that, but y'all know when something you were really believing was going to work out and you were praying for it and it didn't. And then you say, Lord, well, what happened? And then in years later, you say, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Woo, Lord, you saved me on this one. Because if I had ended up with what I was praying for, oh, my goodness, I'd be crazy right now or crazier. Amen. <laughs> so I got out of the relationship. And here is what convicted me. When I thought about where I wanted God to take me in life, my desire to achieve that place in my purpose was so strong, if I missed it, I couldn't live with having missed it over certain types of behavior. Even though the moment was good, it still wouldn't have been worth missing out on my purpose. So I began to think, Lord, you mean to tell me I'm giving up my purpose on the pillow? Come on, somebody. Yes, yes. What we do in our private life is directly connected to what God can do in our life. Do you really think you can just pray your way into your destiny when you are not living the life he's called you? It does not work like that. And so I said, Lord, I want to become whoever you want me to become, Lord. I want to do what you want me to do. And so the idea of missing that over something temporary. 
You mean I'm going to miss my eternal purpose, the very reason why I was created? I could miss out on that over some temporary pleasure? Lord, I can't do it. I can't do it because it's not worth it. Because when somebody asked me, well, Devon, why didn't you become the way uh, you were supposed to become? Why didn't you ever become the person uh, that you thought you could? Why did all that potential go by the wayside? And my response is because I couldn't stop certain personal behavior with people that are no longer in my life and behavior that ultimately eats away at my spirit that potentially damages my heart. That's why I gave up my purpose in life. Are you kidding me? I could not live with that answer. So the idea of ever having to come clean about it and missing my purpose was enough to get me to stop. And I also understood I had a responsibility to be honest. I can't stand up here and preach to you from a position of telling you what you want to hear and how you want to hear it and me doing a whole nother thing. I can't preach like that. If I'm going to stand here, I need to stand here transparently telling you what I know because of what I've lived, not telling you what you want to hear and me go do something else. That's not the type of ministry God has called us to. So I said, Lord, if you're using me to speak to people, then I've got to be real because if I'm not, then I need to sit down. Amen. I'm not going to sit up here and fool people and, and pull shenanigans on them. No, no, no. Uh, uh-uh. I respect people too much. To sit up here and lie to them. No, I said, Lord, if you're using me, then I've got to be real because I can't keep being these two different people because I can't live like that anymore. I don't know about you. Is anybody tired of living the way you're living? You're ready for something different. You're ready to be the person God called you to be. You're tired of tripping. You're tired of being schizophrenic. You're tired of not being able to sleep at night because you know there's a better way that you can live. So, I got out of that relationship and have not engaged in that behavior since. Why am I sharing this with you? It's not about putting myself on a pedestal. It's been 10 years. 10 years. Nope. I'm not saying it for you to clap. Why am I sharing this with you? Because we play games with God. We play games with our purpose. We think we can do a little, you know, living the way we want to live. And then a little living the way God wants to live. And ultimately it's all going to work out. Yes, his mercy and grace is going to cover us. Don't worry. This is true. But ultimately, what's in your heart? Yes, we can make a wrong step and God will forgive us of our sins, but it does not answer the question. What's in your heart that is causing the inconsistent behavior? Hmm. Why do I share with you? Yeah, it's been 10 years. I share with you because it's possible. It's possible. People say, oh, you know, listen, as a man, hey, a man got to get what a man got to get. And that's just the way it is. God knew that. That's how he made us this way. Y'all heard that. Come on now. You know, no, 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 no. Yes, he did make it this make us this way and he made it hard for a reason and made it difficult and challenging. But when you meet the challenge, Watch what God begins to do in your life. In all thy ways, acknowledge him. In everything you do, you've got to put him first. Jesus says, seek ye the kingdom. (laughs) And put the kingdom first, right? And then all these things I will add unto you. Why? Won't you acknowledge him in everything? Can you really say that what you're doing right now that is absolutely against what the word teaches us, 
that is absolutely disrupting your relationship with him, is it worth it? I need to ask you the question, is it worth it? If Jesus were to come today, right now, could you look at him and say, Lord, I know you died on the cross for my sins. But I have to be honest, what I'm doing right now is worth me giving up that sacrifice that you gave for me. Could you look Jesus in the face and say that? You might be able to. But if you can't, why then won't you stop? Because when we're really being honest, it only hurts us. It only hurts us in how we feel. Amen? No matter how good it might be, the Holy Spirit deals with you. Come on, somebody. Amen? Amen? Uh, balcony, amen? <laughs> or is the Holy Spirit only dealing down here? Amen? <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. God is, 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 is having me stay on this for a moment. And, and, and Pastor Myron, you know, tonight with the Q&A, we can get into more of my testimony. But if God is having me stay right here. The direction of your life is made and can be altered in the moments of passion that we engage in those few moments can alter the very course of our life. The reason why the devil is so determined to make you think it's impossible to abstain until marriage is because he knows that if he can number one, get you out of a relationship with God while you're single, if he can disrupt your decision-making power while you're single, if he can get you to live less than you are entitled to while you're single, if he can have you make choices that are in direct opposition to your relationship with God, he knows and he has victory over the family. His plan to destroy the family doesn't start when a man and woman get married. It starts when that man and woman are single. Amen. And his goal is to inflict as much pain, as much damage as possible. So by the time you get to the altar, you're so wounded, there's no way you can go into a marriage and be a healthy husband or a healthy wife because you've been through so much hell to get there. Just because you get married doesn't mean as soon as you cross the altar, all the emotional baggage goes away, amen? Come on, somebody. It's not like there's a magic wand that, oh, you're married, now life will be great. No, all of the things we do as single people find that way into being married, and it's got to be dealt with at some point. And, 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 and so the devil is strategic in this thing. He wants you to make decisions that are against your relationship with God. Why? Because he wants you to stay hurt. I don't care how much money some of us make in here or how little money or where we live or where we don't live or what position we have in church, what position we don't have. All of us are united right now. Because there is something that we're hurting over. There is some emotional pain that we are dealing with right this very moment. We all are damaged. Come on, somebody. We all are hurting deeply. We've been hurt so badly badly over some things that we can't even acknowledge how badly we're hurt because we wouldn't even know how to process it. So we uh, cover up the hurt 
And sometimes then what we'll do is we'll, we'll get in a relationship and we say, well, if I have the right person with me, it will help me deal with the hurt. But all that does is it brings somebody else's hurt into my situation. Because the truth of the matter is no person can heal you. Only Jesus heals. Now, he might use somebody to bring you healing, but that healing comes from him. And, 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 and we live in a world, we live in a society that is all about if you're not in a relationship, something's wrong with you, especially if you're a woman. When you look at Cosmopolitan and Vogue and, and Essence and Ebony, and I don't knock the magazines, but all the magazines have on the cover tips to be in a great relationship. How you can look good for your man. Come on, how you can perform better for your lover. Come on now. And so all of these images get permeated into our culture regardless of race. And then we begin to evaluate our self-worth based upon who is or isn't in our life at a certain period of time. But why would we allow the world to set a standard that is false? We need to start saying, well, how much Jesus is in my life? How good am I looking for him? How well is my relationship with him? Because if I would just get my relationship right with the father, then all of these things that I'm worried about will come to pass don't worry about what cosmopolitan might say i ain't worried about what ebony says let me put my face in the word and let the word tell me that a virtuous woman is worth more than rubies and he that findeth a wife findeth a good thing but that good thing comes from the greatest thing which is our father up above i am so tired of us giving up our relationship with god for intimate moments that don't matter that you're going to forget about that you're going to be regretting you need to know that only things that eternal will last your relationship with god is built to last he thought about you before he came down he sent his son jesus so that you could live he knew what you were going to deal with and he made a plan out of your situation why won't you accept his plan today do you really think your life is better off without him right now you're going through hell because you stopped letting him direct your life i dare you right now to say lord i've messed up my life so much i need you back in my situation i need you back behind the camera i need you to get back in my life get in this relationship lord have your way lord if i don't have the strength lord you give me the strength to stop doing what i'm doing right now get in this job lord i'm getting ready to compromise what i believe just to get a paycheck but lord i need your power in this job lord get in this church lord i need your will in this church lord lord i need your will in this house these kids are driving me crazy my husband is driving me up a wall my wife is getting ready to put me in the grave lord get in this marriage right now i just need somebody who is tired of living without god it is ready to put him back in his rightful position in your life you're tired that's why you're here he is allowing you to get worn out doing your own will because your will will not work when you take control over your life and God is not in it, you are going to go through even more hell. Your life will continue to be a mess. At least when you let him direct your life. It doesn't mean that everything is going to be great. But then you can have the assurance of what the word says, which is all things work together for the good of those that love him. If ye love me, keep my commandments. That means if you love me, you will do what I instruct. So all things work together for the good of those that follow my instruction. Those that let me direct their life. So when you even go through difficult circumstances, but God is directing you, you can go through with a little bit more power saying, Lord, it might be tough, but you're directing me on through. It might not know where I'm going to end, Lord, but through faith, I'm walking through this thing. Lord, I don't know how you're going
going to work it out, but I don't have to worry because you are walking with me step by step. You are walking with me day by day. Here's the thing I don't understand. In Hollywood, we, we, we hire a director because they have the skill set to direct a complete vision and a complete movie. That's why they're hired. Now, there are some actors that will show up on set. They haven't rehearsed their lines. They fight with the director. And they try to tell the director how to do his job. And most of the time, these actors have only read the scenes that they're in. So they don't even know where the story is going. So if you don't know where the story is going, what gives you the authority to think that you have the capability to direct yourself in a story you don't even know where it's going to end up? So what makes you think that you can show up in your life, you haven't even seen the end of your movie, and you start giving God direction on what he is doing and how he should do it and when he should do it? No, truth be told, you need to shut up, get to your markers, hit your line, and let God direct you from scene to scene to scene to scene. Why? Because he knows the beginning, he knows the middle, and he knows the end. And there's some stuff he's going to do right now in your scene that doesn't make sense because you don't know what he's doing at the end amen but right now the crazy stuff he's having you do the crazy faith he wants you to exhibit is because he knows where he's directing you oh i wish i had a church in here that would get excited about god's direction it ain't always gonna make sense what he wants to do amen it ain't going to make sense. Matter of fact, the, more, the less sense that it makes, the more evidence that it's him. Amen? Amen? He does not follow our logic. The word says his thoughts are not our thoughts. Amen? His logic is not our logic. Amen? All right? He has a higher way of thinking. Amen? So when he gives you instruction that doesn't line up with your logic, you need to say amen instead of stop fighting him. Because he knows best. Hallelujah. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. There's somebody here. You got to give it up. We all have fallen short. Amen. I stand before you as a man who has fallen short. But because of Jesus' sacrifice... I can stand here today still.